Welcome to Amplify, the personal brand business show. Today on the show, Bob is speaking with Pat Flynn. Pulling the levers, like we were talking about before, like a 2x return would be, okay, let's just let's just make more online courses and get better at copywriting and do more ads. We don't do ads and, and do more of just what we're already doing versus, okay, let's break the business and put it back together again in this in this unique way. And now the, 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 the runway is much, much longer for where we could go. And that's going to be neat because when we start to see even more revenue come in next year as a result of this, we're going to be able to reinvest a lot of that into more of SPI and more of the experiences and, you know, all those kinds of things down the road. So it's, it's been really fun. Hi there, and welcome back to the Personal Brand Business Show. My name is Bob Gentle, and every week I speak with incredible people who share their secrets to building, marketing, and monetizing their expertise, intentionally growing a unique personal brand and a mindset you need for your business to grow and thrive. If you're new to the show, then while you still have your device in your hand, take a second to subscribe. And if you're a regular listener, then consider sharing the show with one person. If you're watching on YouTube, you're my favorite. YouTube is slowly growing. You're the best. Take a moment to subscribe, like, and if you have a question that pops up, comment, and we'll be there ready to answer. So this week, I'm so excited, I can't tell you. I am thrilled to be welcoming Pat Flynn to the show. Pat, Pat, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Bob. I appreciate you for uh, having me and love what you're saying about YouTube and just congrats on all the stuff that you're putting together. It's so valuable. Well, thank you. For, for the listener, for the audience, Pat Flynn is a big deal for me. I remember coming into work on a on Monday morning. and I don't know which day it was, but you would post your income reports up on you look back at these blogs now and think, holy cow, did we manage to run businesses on those things? You were probably the original podcaster from my perspective and the, probably the originator for a lot of people, the idea of passive income. But for the listener who's meeting you for the first time, can you maybe just start by telling us a little bit about who you are, where you are and, and what the world looks like for you now? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a, a, a long road. I've I was talking about this with somebody the other day, Bob, 15 years I've now been an entrepreneur doing stuff on my own, but that's not what I set out to do when I first started my sort of career. My career started in the architecture world and I had imagined myself an old man owning my own architecture firm, building really cool buildings. And I'm definitely not doing that now, but I am building really cool things. And in a way, those things that I focus time and effort on, people are now using. And in a way, I still am an architect when I, when I reflect a little bit, but in a different kind of way. I definitely don't miss AutoCAD, though, I will say. <laughs> I prefer the things I do now, by far. But like I said, I started out as an architect. I got laid off in 2008, and it was a rough time for me. But that's when I discovered this world of podcasts. And there was a particular podcast I discovered where there was an episode uh, about a guy who was making six figures a year helping people pass the PM exam or the project management exam. I had never heard anything like this before, let alone the amount of money this person was making in their own home uh, just by posting content online. And I said, you know what? There's a lot of exams that I've taken on my way to becoming an architect. I wasn't a fully licensed architect, but I was on my way. But there were a lot of exams I remember that were very difficult and there was no help could I be the person to step up and help people who are also taking these exams? And that's exactly what I attempted to do. And one of those exams was the LEED exam, which is a very difficult exam about sustainability and building green buildings and those kinds of things. I built a website 
I put my notes on there and I started to share tips and strategies for passing this exam. It was a very expensive exam, so you know a lot of people were spending a lot of money and you couldn't get your money back if you failed. So it was like there was a lot of uh, uh, there there was a lot at stake for people. So people eventually in two or three months found my website through Google. Then they started to share it and I started to become known as this expert in this exam. I didn't feel like I was an expert. But to them, I was because I was posting all the stuff that they wanted to know. For me, I was just still trying to figure out. I didn't get a perfect score on the exam. In fact, I almost failed. But because I was the person stepping up to help others, I was seen as an expert. And so much so that people started asking me for a study guide. And I was like, I, am I even qualified to do this? Like, I, like, there are study guides out there already. And they're like, yeah, Pat, but they're expensive. But most of all, like, we want to hear from you because you are just like us. You're not the exam company. You are a person who's in our seats and we want to hear what you have to say. So I said, okay. So I wrote this book, study guide. It was 75 pages. It was just a PDF file. I sold it on my website for $19.99. And in that first month, in October of 2008, I generated $7,908.55, which was two and a half times more than I was making as an architect, which blew my mind. I spent years in the field and in school learning how to do something. And then here I was in two and a half to three months, I figured something out and I was able to make two and a half times more. It just, it felt weird to me. I felt like it was almost illegal. I thought the FBI was gonna come and swat (laughs) my house because I was doing something that I shouldn't have. But you know what did come? Thank you notes, more customers, people saying, this helped me pass my exam. You saved me so much money and time. I'm now able to get a promotion. I got a raise because of this, thanks to you. I'm gonna share it with every person in my company. And it just really started to show me that like, wow, there's this whole world of being able to help people in these very niche ways. And I was getting more recognition and more money doing that than what I was doing as an architect. And so I said, I got to share this with everybody. I got to build a website now to show people how this is all happening. And that's where Smart Passive Income came from. And I've just been documenting my story ever since and the new businesses that I've created. And that business, that architecture one is still in existence today, 15 years later, and it's still generating revenue, mostly from promoting another company's product, not my own anymore, because I'm not up to date on that stuff, but it's still generating revenue, and that's very, very passive. I spend about an hour a year on that. A lot of the things that I do now to generate revenue are definitely less passive, like managing and, and building a community. It's probably the least passive thing that you can do, but I also have other things that are semi-passive. I've invented a tripod with my videographer that's now on Amazon for sale, and that's been generating revenue month over month since 2019. We launched that on Kickstarter to about a half million dollars in 60 days. I have a YouTube channel about Pokemon that's exploding right now that's doing very well. Books, and I speak, just a lot of different things, Bob. So I know that maybe this is a little challenging because we can go in many different directions here, but I'm here for it, and wherever you want to go, <laughs> we can we can go on that journey together. Yeah. Well, I remember reading about the Green Exam Academy, and the, another one that I came across was the Security Guard HQ. Yeah, that's another uh, that one. That was yeah. one, I, and I remember watching you build that essentially live. And something you see in the startup community these days is this trend for what they call build in public. Yeah. And I look at what you were doing back then, and, and very much what you're doing now, it is building in public. And I remember when you launched the Deep Pocket Monsters YouTube channel, I. I, I barely laughed and I thought, what is he doing? And it's been an absolute delight watching that explode in a very short space of time. Thank you. And what I particularly love about it 
is you hear all kinds of people saying up oh, YouTube is saturated, that it it's too late for YouTube. And you've proven that wrong. You have a very diverse portfolio of interests. And the the deep pocket monster YouTube channel for me, I think, is probably the biggest lesson. Did you question yourself about starting that? Or did you start that with a business in mind? Or did you start that as a passion project? How did that actually grow in your own head before you pulled the trigger? In 2020, we were all stuck at home. My kids and I got into Pokemon. I started to discover this world and went onto YouTube and saw there were a lot of other people talking about Pokemon and this, this giant communities of people that I could be a part of and feel welcome in. And, and, and I, I said, you know what? I kind of want to start a YouTube channel here because I feel like I could bring some unique skill sets and unique stories and unique perspectives into the space. And I started it specifically just as a passion project with an entrepreneurial mindset going into it. And what I mean by that is I didn't just kind of create willy-nilly. I created like I would create if I was doing entrepreneurship with specifically who is the audience and what are their needs in mind, with storytelling in mind, with going deep into the analytics and YouTube and what's working, titles, thumbnails, and really doing it right so that I could maximize my reach with this new passion project that I have. And it, and it worked. In less than a year, we hit 100,000 subscribers and currently we're approaching a three quarters of a million subscribers, so 750,000 subscribers in about two and a half years. The revenue generated from the channel, both through ads and sponsorships, is a multiplier of what I am getting in the SPI business, which is crazy to think about. And it's wow. mostly because it's more lean. It's just me, my, uh, uh, me, an editor and a producer. But I mean, I'm talking, and you know me with numbers, I'm very open with them. I mean, we're averaging 35 to 40K a month on the Pokemon side of things. And there's affiliate marketing involved in that too, right? Something from the SPI world that I've taken now into this world. I am now an advisor to a company in the collectibles world, which is something I picked up from the entrepreneurial world, right? So I'm taking all the skills and all the things, all the mistakes that I've learned in my other experiences, and I'm I'm starting something new, but I'm starting not from scratch because I've learned the mistakes and I've learned what works. A lot of people do think that it's only successful because I already had a big YouTube channel on the Pat Flynn side of things and on SPI, but that's not true. In fact, I started this thing siloed because my worry was that if I just told all my SPI followers to go and follow me on this new channel, like, sure, I'd have a lot of subscribers, but you know what? Those subscribers wouldn't be my target audience, and that would actually suppress the reach that my YouTube channel would get because yeah. it is now mixed. And, well, who are who is this audience that seems to like these videos? Some of them are entrepreneurs, but then they don't watch the videos. It's just confusing. That's part of the problem of my other YouTube channel was it was just kind of all over the place. So I started this thing from scratch, and it started to build because I started to focus on who is the audience? What language would they respond to? How can I bring some superpowers that I have in the world of entrepreneurship into this and tell great story and, of course, bring the great cameras and all those kinds of things? But even today, we find that the videos that are more raw filmed on my iPhone actually perform better than the ones with my fancy cameras. So it's not even about the cameras. It's about the stories that are being told and to see it blow up so well. And now I'm getting recognized on the streets and in the mall and you know at bookstores, wherever – for my Pokemon thing more than the smart passive income thing now. And it's just a joy. And, and, and I love it because they just usually kids and, and adults, you might think that this channel is mostly kids, but it's actually a lot of adults my age, millennials yeah. who grew up with Pokemon, who spent our allowance on Pokemon, who now have the money to spend on Pokemon because we're all adults <laughs> now and are bringing the family into it too, because it's a very cross-generational thing. So 
anyway, I can go on and on about that, Bob, but that, that's kind of what happened. Well, I, I think as a vehicle, there's just so much joy around Pokemon. It can't, it can't not be a nice thing to do. But looking at it from an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial perspective, I look at what you've done repeatedly in it's, it's, it's at the heart of what an, an entrepreneur is, is doing something new, entering into something you haven't done before. Mm. And a lot of business owners, they, they hit a point at which they've really struggled to move beyond and they try wiggling buttons and moving levers and nothing really seems to move them forwards. Right. But what you've done is, okay, those things have reached their natural zenith, if you like. I'm going to do something new now and I'm going to put systems in place to run these things. Mm-hmm. When you look at what I'm going to call the average entrepreneur who's, because a lot of people come to SBI, I imagine, because they want change. They want to change in their business in some way. And yet you probably see an awful lot of people not seeing the change that they wished for. When you look in from a bird's eye view, what's the most common advice you wish you could give for people to maybe look at revolution over incremental tiny changes? I, mm. I, I think you probably know the question I'm trying to ask. I understand the question. How do we see bigger strides and in, in, in more advancement in the work that we're doing versus just kind of small yeah. Why don't people make bigger changes? I learned this early on, this idea of bold actions equals bold results. And it's funny because recently there's been a book that's been going around the entrepreneurial space. A lot of people have talked about it. I've talked about it in my newsletter. 10X is easier than 2X. And this, this Ben Hardy book is amazing because, and I love that title because it makes you go, wait, really? Like doing something 10X is easier than doing it 2x and it's true because what we discover is that when we're trying to 2x or double something right we might try to find the little buttons to pull or the levers to pull or push essentially just doing more of what we're already doing which usually just leads to burnout or frustration because we're doing the same things and we're hoping for 2x the results so we feel like we have to put two times the amount of energy into it and that's going to not always work out. Versus when you think about trying to 10x scale by a multiplier of 10, you know inherently that you cannot do the same things in order to get that result. You have to go outside of what you're already doing so that you can get those bigger results. It makes you think about things differently. It makes you approach things a little bit differently, and it makes you ask questions about the systems and things that you have now, and what you can do to get faster, better, revolutionary results, right? Bold actions are usually what's at the requirement of that. And I think a lot of people don't go that route because we're either too scared, we feel a little timid to go outside of our comfort zone. We know that we can get better results by improving our systems and optimizing what we have. However, the 10X version of that is scary because we don't know what that looks like, which means you're gonna have to explore but you don't discover something by exploring the land you're already in. You have to go to sea for months sometimes and, and face the dangers and, and, and just know that maybe it might not work out sometimes. But in the world of entrepreneurship, it's nice because you can develop systems that create a little bit of automation and so you can buy some of that time back, yet those things can still continue to work, right? SPI can still continue to work now. We've developed it in a way with our community and the team so that I can actually get a little bit of time back and put it now into this new thing. 
yet SPI is still rolling and still doing very, very well. So that's why it's not happening. We're, we're scared, but also I think an exercise that I take my students whenever we have this conversation, because it does come up, it's like, oh, it's scary. I, 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 I know what I know and I know it works, but like, how do I know that other thing is, is not going to work? And, and you don't. But what's scarier? Not knowing it's going to work, but at least giving it a shot or never giving it a shot, not knowing if it could have worked. And, and I think that regret is something I really want people to think about because our worst case scenario is not usually what we think it is. We usually think about the worst possible thing, and it's usually a lot more aggressive than what it actually could be when you try something and fail. And through yeah. that failure, if there is failure, there's always lesson. There is always something that might allow you to pivot into something else. So the opportunities are much more vast out there, but you you, you kind of have to you, you have to go into exploration mode a little bit, and that can be scary. Something else that I, I would like to ask you specifically is your business, the majority of it, I'm sure there are some aspects of it that are private. People don't see investments, things like that. I know you have other things going on, but that most of your businesses that are public, your participation in them mm-hmm. have been developed in public. They've gone from the seed, they've grown. And I see a lot of business owners hiding the work and then waiting for the grand unveil and then wondering why the public aren't there cheering them. Right. How intentional has, has that taking people with you in the process been? And I guess what's your perspective on the grand unveiling versus the building public? It, it has been super intentional. And the reason is because when I was learning business, it was those who opened up their factory doors to their work that allowed me to understand more about what I could do myself and how to take it and put it in, put my own style or my own spin into it. So I've always been encouraged by others. I'm sort of just like keeping the ripples going in, in, in that regard. And I, I encourage other people to be, uh, you know, more open and transparent and authentic. And I think in this world, especially the online space where you never know what's real or, or what's not, and it's hard to really understand who it is that you should follow or if they're just kind of putting up a face, the more that you can put yourself out there and the more that you could show the work, including the things that aren't working so well, the more people will be able to trust you. And that, that, that's been very, very intentional. And when it comes to building trust, it, it has to be very open. I think of entrepreneurs, big entrepreneurs like Elon Musk, who've been very open with how he's built Tesla, for example. And I know he came on board later. He wasn't necessarily a founder, but to go from, you know, the, the roadster and, and almost bankrupt to sharing that story and being very open about the process and then even opening up his patents to other founding companies. It's been really amazing to see. So we're seeing it at a high level there, but then we're also seeing it at a small level with, small, with, with smaller brands and businesses and personalities just sharing their story. And when you do that, a number of things happen. You can come across those roadblocks, those failure points, even before you get there you can actually avoid them more. You're more likely to avoid them. For example, in my own history, 2011, I had a couple friends of mine who had come out with WordPress plugins. So WordPress is a blogging platform and there are plugins that are usually free, but there are some plugins that you have to pay for and you usually pay a developer to get access to this thing that allows you to do something on your website. And I had two friends of mine, two completely different friends. They didn't know each other in two different spaces, but they each created a WordPress plugin within the span of about three months from each other. And they each launched them to their own respective brands 
And they each made over six figures during that time. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And I look at their brand versus mine. My brand was 10 times bigger than theirs and they were still able to make that, that amount of money. So I said, whoa, what if I created a WordPress plugin for my audience? This could be huge. So immediately I find a developer, I give him an idea that I had in the back of my head for a while and we just kind of hash it out. And what was supposed to take six weeks and $6,000 ended up taking six months and $15,000 over time because it was just, I rushed into it, number one. But eventually it got to the point where I was finally satisfied with, with what the end result was. And it was like a specialized contact form that did a whole bunch of other things. And then I had the grand reveal. I shared it with some insiders in my brand and some colleagues. And I was like keeping this thing secret. I was even teasing it every once in a while. I was like, guys, I'm working on this secret project. It's going to be huge. And I share it with them. And the response is, meh. Or as the kids would say today, it's kind of mid. It didn't hit like I thought it was going to hit. And the part that was even more depressing to me was, not only were they saying, well, this wasn't great, but they were also offering suggestions on what could make it even better. And it was at that point that I realized that I did things out of order. I didn't have any more budget to change things or work with a developer anymore. So I had to scrap the project. If only I had shared these ideas up front, maybe even publicly, could I have had holes poked in them before they were actual holes that would have had the money falling out of my pockets, if you will. So this is why I always talk about, and this is exactly why I wrote my book, Will It Fly? How to test your next business idea so you don't waste your time and money, which is something I've done and many other entrepreneurs do. The big counter to that argument is, well, what if somebody steals your idea? That's what mm -hmm. we always hear. That's why we keep those these ideas secret often. And there are cases where that makes sense to do, especially in a very highly competitive space. But in most cases, especially for small business owners and for personal brands specifically, Sharing these things up front has so much more benefit than you might think. Not only are you having people poke holes in it and, and, and discovering what maybe the things that are going to fall short with it are so that you can address them up front, but you're also marketing this as you are doing it. You know, you are getting people involved in the process. And when people are involved, they're invested. You are able to understand more about the language to use around this when you uh, eventually end up selling it. You can get people excited enough to be a beta tester, to use it first, and to offer really important feedback and value before you launch it publicly in front of everybody, knowing that there's likely gonna be things that are gonna break and that's okay. But the idea of, of marketing it as you are building it versus building it and then marketing it, it's the difference between, hey guys, come in this room with me, I got something to show you, it's really fun, and we're gonna build this thing together, or you building this thing and then screaming at the top of your lungs off the rooftops to try and convince everybody that this is what they need. I mean, it's so much better to talk about these things beforehand and, and figure out what's wrong now so that you could fix them before they even become a problem. So one of the other things that I wanted to ask you about is you've got lots of different things going on, but one of the words that I keep seeing again and again is co-founder. You don't do that many things on your own. Well, you probably do, but SPI, there's a co-founder. SwitchPod, there's a co-founder. How intentional is that? And do you go out looking for people when you have an idea or do people bring ideas to you? I think it depends. You know, I come up with a lot of ideas on my own. However, if I know that it's not something that I can do on my own, I will go out and look for a co-founder, somebody who has complementary skills and, and, and potential to help take it to where it needs to go. For example, co-founder of SwitchPod. SwitchPod is that tripod that was invented by myself and Caleb Wojcik, my videographer. We partnered on it together. We formed an, uh, an LLC. 
And then we launched that thing and we're both working on that company together. The founder notation for SPI is a little bit interesting because, you know, I founded Smart Passive Income in 2008. I am the founder of that. But that was with my company, my umbrella company, Flindustries LLC. And in 2019, that's when I shifted from a agency that I hired helping me, which was Matt Gartland's agency, Winning Edits, who helped me with the publishing. And I, you know, I was their number one client. I was 70% of their work. I essentially bought them out. I, I, I bought his agency and really just the employees and, and, and folded them into SPI. And we decided, Matt and I, that we were going to separate a few things from that. So I had a bunch of things happening at the time. I had a lot of these niche websites. I had my personal books. I had my personal YouTube channel. Those should be separate from what is now going to be a combined effort to, to run SPI. So let's start a new company, SPI Media LLC. And that's what Matt and I are both co-founder of. However, I'm still the founder of my umbrella company, Flindustries LLC, which most people don't see that on the front face of things. They see the YouTube channel. They see the Pokemon channel still under there, although that might be coming out soon to uh, become its own thing, more for bookkeeping purposes than anything, really. My books and other things are all uh, sort of in my personal brand is under Flindustries LLC. So, you know, there's a little bit of administrative things that are happening there that, uh, you know, Matt's been able to help me with. And Matt's really a genius at that kind of stuff and, and has helped me better structure those parts and, and, and have them become more siloed, if you will, which is better for a lot of reasons. But in many cases, you know, I like, you know, sometimes I'll have an idea and, and it's not necessarily a co-founder, but it's it's a, a producer or a director. You know, we have a lot of directors in SPI who help manage a specific branch of the company and who can take ownership of that part of it, but aren't necessarily a co-founder. I'm speaking to Jillian in our company, our community director. We also have, you know, a director of marketing now, Sandy, who's just come in and, and sort of taken over a lot of those marketing roles that I used to once do so that I can step forward into the community a little bit more so that I can just do more of what I feel my superpower is, which is get on the camera or get on a microphone and, and, and record the podcast. So it's been really great to see SPI evolve because in the beginning it was literally just me. It was just me for six years and I couldn't have imagined letting anybody else touch my baby. And I soon discovered that there were a lot of other people who could do a lot of things that I needed to be done a lot better and faster than I can. And this is where the team has come on board. And now we have 11 full-time people and growing to help manage the community and help deliver the best value that we can to our pro members and our All Access Pass members and it's going to grow even bigger, and 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 it's great because we're able to help a lot more people in that way. Well, this is where I wanted to go next because SPI Pro for me, I'm, I'm a member of SPI Pro. I absolutely love it. And the SPI All Access Pass, I thought, was genius because one of the things, I mean, you have some great courses in there, but one of the things that always bugs me about courses and why I've never really sold them is the industry statistics around people who actually follow courses. And I don't want to create anything where people mm-hmm. aren't going to actually complete the course. Right. And alongside that, people don't just learn from information. They learn from experience and fellow travelers in particular. And this kind of course community hybrid is just so smart. So for somebody who's listening, maybe tell them a little bit about what SBI Pro and SPI Academy and the All Access Pass is actually about. 
Yes. So there's a little bit of a journey that I'm going to take you on. And it, it takes us back to 2017, which was when I launched my first standalone online courses, right? So these were courses that were sold on an individual basis for hundreds of dollars to help people unlock certain things in their business from a podcast to online courses to YouTube to webinars, email marketing, affiliate marketing, all, all those sorts of things. We, we run the gamut of uh, skills that you might need to know to build a successful online business. And those sold really, really well. And we had some of the highest completion rates in the industry. And we really worked really hard to do that, right? It's the curriculum. It's how we take you through the different lessons. It's, it's how we hold you accountable throughout the way. However, you're still kind of just doing this on your own. And it worked. It worked better than other courses that were out there in the industry. However, in 2020... Uh, some interesting things happened in the world that changed a lot of things, uh, as as we all know. And in, in our business, a few things changed. Number one, we were just starting to host live events. We had our first live event in 2019, and it was very successful. We were ready to do it again in 2020, and then the pandemic happened. And so it was interesting because during that live event, the thing that people said they loved the most was not the speakers, not the curriculum that we had there. It was literally the time to chat with other people in the hallways. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, okay, well, we're all stuck at home now. Can we still create that feel of like just connecting with each other in the hallways, but online? We need to test if community makes sense for our audience. So we launched SPI Pro in June of 2020. And this was a specified community for the established business owners in our audience. Much of our audience are just getting started. This is not for them. This is for people who are established business owners, people who we knew we could go to to bring together, to have a common language, to have common goals, to connect with each other, to build masterminds with. And it would allow for a much smaller experiment than if we were to just open up a big, bold, wide community. And it would allow us to test this idea of community with an SPI. And it tested very, very well. People were very excited to be a part of this, to connect with each other. And when we ran a survey going into it, more content was at the bottom of the list of what people wanted. People just wanted connection, which was really great. So we ran that for a year and a half and it worked really, really well. We're still running it actually. We're putting a lot more into it now with our experts in residence program and Matt coming in and, and, and offering his more strategic, higher level business planning courses inside of SPI Pro specifically. But we also knew that there were a larger amount of people who were just getting started on their business journey. Somebody who would be prime for one of our or if not many of our online courses, but we didn't have a community where they needed to come together. And in fact, it's more important for them to have community because they're at the start of their journey. That's actually like going to the gym. It's much easier to go to the gym when you're going with other people to you know, go through those classes together or, 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 or wake each other up in the morning when you don't wanna go. So we knew that we could develop some sort of curriculum, but we didn't know exactly how. So we hired a curriculum expert, a teacher, her name's Ashley, Ashley Gore, and she came on and developed what we now call the All Access Pass. And she was able to solve this puzzle that we had with over a dozen courses and workshops because also what was failing us was the fact that because we had so many courses, it was like there was so much for a person who bought one course to then go into the next and to go into the next. We're like, wow, this person who's a super fan is spending you know thousands of dollars with us, uh, which is you know great. But might we be able to open up the doors to more people, lower the barrier to entry and, and, and give more value, but still generate revenue as a business because we still need to make money as a business. And this is where Ashley came up with this idea of, well, let's have what we call the all access pass for a monthly payment, a much, much lower monthly payment, which is the equivalent of $59 a month. You get access to all of our courses. And in the beginning, I was like, oh, I don't want to just give people access to more information. They don't need more information. Having access to that is nice, but 
She's like, no, 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 I'm not done, Pat. I was like, okay, keep going. She said, we're going to help people understand which courses to go through and in what order. I was like, oh, okay, so a person might not even need all the courses, but the courses that they need are going to be there. She's like, yeah, but they'll also have access to the other students going through those courses with them. This is where we can now bring community in, and our team will show up to help them when they need it because they are likely to need it more than anybody else. And I was like, okay, this is great. This is great. And then the cherry on top is what we call now our accelerators. This is something that our All Access Pass members get access to. And an accelerator is something that happens in real time throughout the year. There's several of them throughout the year. We just launched one for a podcasting one, which means you can go through the podcasting course and that curriculum together with other students literally at the same time. Each week for a certain number of weeks, you watch these modules, you watch these lessons, and you do these things. All the lessons are still in our pre-recorded online course, so it's not like you have to show up to a lecture. They're there when you can watch them on your own time asynchronously. But here are the real-time moments where you can come in to ask questions and get help and get guidance along the way, and you can all help each other and support each other and partner up with each other in the community as well. That's what we call our accelerators. It's a hybrid between a cohort-based model which we experimented with as well, and that worked really, really well. However, it was so much time for a person to dedicate to show up live to get those lessons. We said, no, we already have the lessons. Let's let them watch on their own time, but then come into the office hours or ask questions in the community, get answers when they wake up in the morning, and go through the courses that way. We've seen, I think it's like a 3x completion rate as a result of doing it this way versus what we were doing with a standalone course. And the equivalent of thousands of dollars worth of courses. Now, we build quarterly now, not monthly, because we want people to stick around, 179 a month, and it's been tremendous. I mean, the results and the feedback that I've personally been getting, I've been getting letters from people saying this is the best thing that we've ever done, and I think it's a perfect way to solve that problem of so many courses, but the power of community, and we're trying to coin this term community-powered courses. We actually didn't weren't the first to come up with it, but we're definitely trying to own that feel of a community-powered course. And not only that, we're trying to set the example for other communities and, and entrepreneurs who are teaching online because if we were to continue selling one-off courses, in fact, we would probably make a lot more money up front because the courses were much higher price point. But that is not what is of best service to our audience. We know that we can help them even further in this structure. And the idea being, you come in, you get what you need, but you continue to get what you need over time. Over time, we would make more money anyway, as long as we continue to provide value. Now we are generating revenue by the continual providing of value. And that, to me, feels even a lot better. And if a person goes in and they're like, hey, I'm not getting any value, then we're not charging them hundreds of dollars up front, right? And so they can leave if they want. But most, I mean, we have a very low churn rate. I think it's like three and a half to 4% or something, which is which is very, very low, which means people are sticking around. They're getting what they need. Accelerators happen throughout the year. They can join them if they want or just pass and move on to the next one. Or you can go into a course if you're ready for it because it's there. And we're even doing things like bringing workshops into this that are more one-hour conversations about certain things. I ran one about AI a couple months ago. Matt's doing some stuff about strategic planning and, and, and whatnot. So- it's been a beautiful solution to something that was actually a very hard puzzle and credit to the team because it, it was their idea and they executed on it and it's been awesome. So now when we add a new course to our curriculum, it just gets added to what our library is there for, for members and 
it's just really neat. So th- thank you for uh, allowing me to, to cue that up and talk about that because it's it, it's been a number of years. It's been a huge shift in our business model and it wasn't easy. <laughs> Hi, it's Bob here. If you're listening to the show and thinking, this is way out of reach for me, I get it. But I want you to stop. Working with me one-to-one or in a group on your business is accessible and affordable, no matter what stage your business is at. Just open your email, draft a message to bob at amplifyme.agency, or search for at Bob Gentle on any social media platform. Direct message me, tell me your story, and I'll do my very best to help make sure that the next chapter is the best yet. I th- I, I'm sure it wasn't, but I think what's shown through watching from the outside was people make decisions for all different kinds of reasons. And the majority of time you see, particularly online entrepreneurs, because they're the most visible, mm-hmm. making decisions for what are clearly commercial reasons. Right. You made decisions which for me were about the spirit of how you wanted to come across. This was about blending and balancing a fan base with a business and not enough people do that. It's very easy to make money online, but often those businesses are short lived, get in, make the kill, come out again, serving an audience that you actually care about and that care about you and will continue to care about you. That's a, that's a difficult balancing act. And I was really surprised, particularly when you gave all access pass membership to the SPI pro members, because you didn't have to do that. And that was a clear act of generosity that I really enjoyed. Yeah, that 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 made sense. We were advocate, advocating for that ever since we started All Access Pass. And I'm glad we were able to finally do that. There was a lot of technical things that needed to make sure we're right before we did that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it made sense. So, you know, the the, the the breakdown now, and it's it's very simple. We don't promote 12 different courses 12 different times of the year anymore. We just promote All Access yeah. Pass and SPI Pro which includes the all access pass which is which is amazing. So it's just been really neat to see and and I appreciate you saying that. It definitely was something that we saw a dip in the revenue coming in uh, up front but we 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 were here for the long game. I mean obviously I've been here for 15 years doing this and now with a team and we're invested into our people. We also spent a lot of money on hiring the right people to make sure these communities were run well and that the information was what it needed to be. So I feel like 2024 coming up is going to be a very big breakout year for SPI in terms of like, this was our 10X idea, right? Pulling the levers like we were talking about before, like a 2X return would be, okay, let's just let's just make more online courses and, and, and get better at copywriting and do more ads. We don't do ads and, and do more of just what we're already doing versus, okay, let's break the business and put it back together again in this, in this unique way. And now- the, 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 the runway is much, much longer for where we could go. And that's going to be neat because when we start to see even more revenue come in next year, as a result of this, we're going to be able to reinvest a lot of that into more of SPI and more of the experiences and, you know, all those kinds of things down the road. So, um, it's, it's been really fun. So one more place I would like to go with you is getting like ridiculously practical. Whenever I meet effective people, I am very curious what rules do you have around how you organize your your week and your day? How do you run that? Yeah, I mean, on one hand, we have people like Matt who literally schedule out every 
15 minute increment and on a spreadsheet and it's just like so well defined I, I i like to rather go to where my energy is not to say that matt doesn't have energy for some of those things because he always has energy for those things they wouldn't be on the spreadsheet otherwise but for me i tend to try to find the things that light me up as much as possible and if it's a thing that i have to do that doesn't on the surface light me up like answering emails for example i do have an assistant Jess who is amazing who takes most of that off my plate but I still have to get in there every once in a while I I don't wake up wanting to answer emails but I don't think about it that way when I have to go and do that I think about the individual who I'm answering and how I can best serve them that lights me up that's something that always drives me if it's somebody who has a problem right you might think oh now I have to put out this fire I think of okay what's a really creative way that I can flip this to have it be a huge win for them and then I get creative with that, right? So that's how I approach things. And, 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 you know, on the schedule, yes, there are certain things I do every day. I mean, there's like Monday is my writing day. Tuesday is my recording day. It's a Tuesday right now. So we scheduled this on a Tuesday. You know, I have things divided that way. So when I wake up during a day, I know kind of the kind of mindset I need to be in going into that. So I knew that, for example, Tuesday today, I needed to show up on people, people's podcasts for, for and, and my own that I'm recording. So I need to make sure that the day before that I eat well, that I don't snack late at night, that my energy levels are at peak level when I'm on these interviews today. So I think about it in that way because, again, when I show up, I want to show up fully and show up to, 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 to my best work. And then Wednesday is usually a meetings day. So I know tomorrow I can just kind of chillax a little bit more. And I'm excited because I have been encouraging the team to take walks during meetings so we can get out of the office and just kind of, you know, get outdoors a little bit. So I'm really excited to go outside tomorrow while taking these meetings with the rest of the team. So I don't know if that maybe gives you a little bit of insight into kind of how my brain works, but it's 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 more of an energy related thing. And I've found that when I am doing work, when I'm in a good energy state, things just flow so well. Like the work, it's easier. Even though if it's hard work, if I'm having that energy and and fun around it, or it's like a challenge to me and I'm excited about, uh, you know, finding the solution to that, it's always so much easier than trying to fight against it, right? And and there are times where it's a day to do some specific kind of work and I'm just not feeling it. I don't force it. I don't force it. And this is why it's important for me to batch process my podcast episodes so that when I am in a good energy state, for example, I can record a whole bunch and then I can next week, if I'm not feeling it, I don't feel bad saying, you know what? Not this week. I'm not, I'm not even going to fight against this. Where is my energy right now? Okay. It's, it's here instead, or it's, it's, you know, I need a break. <laughs> you know, I have more freedom by, uh, in that regard. So I don't know, just a little bit of insight into to how my mind works and, and how I try to find uh, my best work. So my very last question, it's not my last question. It's my second last question. And okay. this is like ridiculously nosy. But when you meet like one of your f- child's friends for the first time, say, so what is it you do, Pat? How do you answer that question? If it's one of my kids' friends and they're asking me, here, here, let me preface this by saying, I always change my answer depending on who I'm speaking to, right? <laughs> so in this case, if it's a friend of my kid's, I'll basically say I'm a YouTuber because every kid wants to be a YouTuber and that lights them up. That gets them excited. And then I can answer questions for them. Uh, they usually have a lot of questions. Do you know Mr. Beast? And I say, yeah. And they're like, oh my gosh, like, yeah. like show me proof. And I show them the picture. And, and, and that allows me to just 
have fun and, and feel good energy, right? I, I, I'm speaking a little woo-woo with a lot of the energy talk, but that's honestly what I think about. Um, when I'm in a more professional setting, I'll usually start by talking about SPI Media and the business that we have there because it feels like for that room, it might not impress, but just, you know, I try to read the room and, and understand, okay, how can I yeah. set myself up to provide the best value here, right? And if I started that conversation in a more professional setting by saying, yeah, I'm a 40-year-old man who plays with Pokemon cards and I get paid on YouTube. I mean, in some rooms that might be great. Um, but in, you know, for example, a more professional setting, it might not set the right tone for how I can best serve an audience. I might say I have a, a personal brand and I'm also on YouTube and I also sell online courses and have a community of thousands of people who follow my work. Ah, okay, tell me more about these communities. And, and you know, and then that's where I can start to offer, okay, here's my my portfolio which includes things like this this and yeah oh by the way i have a youtube channel about pokemon as well in case you're curious about that too so again it just depends on who's in the room and who i'm speaking to um and because i have and you'd even spoken about this before we hit record there's just so much that we could talk about i have a lot from the menu that i could share as a chef's favorite depending on whose restaurant i'm in i guess if that makes sense awesome so this is my very last question then, and it's my my standard question. What is one thing you do now that you wish you'd started five years ago? I wish I started fishing earlier. Mm. And what I mean by that, first of all, I used to fish a lot when I was a kid. My dad and I would go deep sea fishing, and I'd fish around a lot of lakes here in San Diego all the time. But then I grew up, and I kind of lost that. And you know, for years after starting my business, 10 years into it, not that I was getting burned out. I, I, I check my energy levels all the time. I know when to take breaks and, and, and when things are getting overloaded. But it was always me thinking about business. I was always thinking about the next thing. I was always, even when I reached a milestone or hit a big celebrate, celebratory moment, I'm always thinking about the next thing. I, I, I work that way. And it wasn't until during the pandemic that I rediscovered fishing. And I went out to a lake once. And I remember I went to a lake, Poway Lake here in San Diego, and it was morning, so it was dusk, and it was beautiful. The sun was rising above the eastern hills, and the sun was reflecting orange off the water. And I took out my phone, and I was like, I have to take a picture of this and share it with the world because this is beautiful. And I looked at the phone, and I was like, can I just enjoy this for me? Can I just put my phone away and just be here now? And so I put the phone away. I didn't take a picture of this, and I just took it in. And it was a very profound moment for me because I realized that like, I was always doing things for others and thinking about other ways to help others and I was never thinking about myself. And I think it's important for entrepreneurs especially to have some me time, not me, Pat Flynn, but you time, right? And to do something that will take you away from all this stuff so that when you go back into it, you can come back into it with even more energy and then have these little moments in between that allow you to sort of meditate and relax. And, and, and whether you actually perform meditation or not, just escaping for a little bit is so healthy. And so now I've gone into fishing pretty regularly now. The garage is, you know, my wife will tell you it's quite full of, of too much <laughs> of it. And, and, and the thing that's funny now is I have to challenge myself to not create a YouTube channel about this now. <laughs> that's been the biggest <laughs> challenge. And I have to t remind myself this is for me and, f and, and for whoever is on the boat with me to experience and just be together. I've gotten really close with my buddy Rick Mulready, who, uh, from, who's also a, a business owner. We go fishing together. It's our place to escape, and we don't talk business. We just talk life and family, and having that escape is so key. And then when I go back into business, it's like I'm fired up even more. I wish I 
had that thing that I could just kind of call my own sooner? That's a really good answer. And I think that's, it's been a really, for me, hopefully for the audience, a very inspiring conversation. Thank you, Bob. If people want to connect with you, if they want to go deeper with you, where can they find you? Yeah, I mean, I would say SPI Pro. I'm going to be even more active in there in the next coming year. But of course, at Pat Flynn on any of the social channels. And of course, you could see Bob in there as well. And and Bob, it was great to see you in person in San Diego this past year. Hope we get to cross paths again in the future. But this was an honor for me to be here. And I'm just grateful that you had me on your show. And thank you to those of you listening and who've listened all the way through as well. Um, I hope we can cross paths as well. Well, the honor was all mine. I'm really grateful for your time. But that does bring us to the end of another episode. Thank you, Pat, for your time. Thank you at home for listening or for watching on YouTube. You're the best. And if you were watching, then I would gently encourage you to leave a five-star review. That's five, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're on YouTube, you know what to do. If you did enjoy the show, you will also love the Personal Brand Business Roadmap. It's everything you need to start, scale, or fix your expert business. Completely free gift from me just visit amplifyme.agency forward slash roadmap. Thank you very much for your time, Pat. Thanks at home again and see you next week. Thank you.